Uh, we're in the book of Jonah. Um, you know, we, we have all kinds of, when you start looking at, at us as a, as a fellowship and a group of people, we have all kinds of people here. We have people who know this story backwards and forwards. And honestly, we have people here this morning who don't even know how this story ends. So um, this is the first time they've heard this story. So there's all kinds of, of, of backgrounds of people here this morning. So let me bring you a little bit up to date. The book of Jonah is four chapters. It's in the Old Testament. Um, it can be divided pretty nicely by each chapter. First chapter is Jonah runs away from God. Second chapter, Jonah runs to God. Third chapter, Jonah runs with God. And fourth chapter, Jonah runs ahead of God. Um, this morning, uh, we, talked, we talked about chapter 1, where Jonah runs from God. And to give you a, the Reader's Digest version, what happens is, um, Jonah is a prophet to Israel, um, to the Hebrew people. And God comes to him and says, I want you to go to your enemies, the Ninevites, and I want you to preach there because I'm about ready to wipe them out. And if they don't change, I'm going to wipe them out. Now, Jonah's in a conundrum because those are God's enemies. Those are people who have done horrendous things to God's people. And if they wipe them out, that's good for Israel. And if Jonah goes, the Israelites are going to be happy if God was going to wipe them out and doesn't. If Jonah goes, the Ninevites may just take him out. So he's kind of in a rock and a hard place. And so from what we know... um, if Jonah traveled the main travel route, Jonah starts to head south, and at one point he comes to the crossroads. If he goes that way, he goes to Nineveh. If he goes that way, he goes away from Nineveh. And Jonah makes the decision to get as far away as he can. And literally, Jonah heads to the farthest known place kind of in the world at that time. And he gets on a ship in, this, in, a, place of, in a city called Joppa, um, and last week, as we talked about the idea, Jonah, God creates this storm, and the sailors are trying to figure out what to do. They cast stuff overboard. That doesn't help. They cast lots, and it falls on Jonah, and they say, who are you? What have you done? Why is your God mad at you? And Jonah explains, well, this is why my God's upset with me. The only answer here is to throw me overboard, and they keep trying. We talked last week about how you help people in crisis, and, and um they, they, they finally make the decision, the hard decision to throw him overboard. They throw him overboard and they worship because um, as soon as they throw it, literally as soon as they throw him overboard, the, the storm's over. So these people are, I don't know who that guy was and I don't know anything about his God, but we're going to believe that his God's pretty powerful. And, and they actually, the pagan people actually end up worshiping. So that's where we start. Okay, that's, that's chapter one. So Right now, we find, Joseph, we find Jonah bobbing in the water, okay? That's, 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 that's where he is, okay? Uh, he's fish bait in more ways than one, all right? Um, and so that's where we pick up the story. We're actually going to look. Actually, when you read your Bible, it, this actually ends chapter, this is the last verse in chapter 1. It really belongs in chapter 2 when you kind of go through the story. So we're going to look at the last verse, and here's what it says. It starts by saying that, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, so let's talk about just this verse as a whole for a second. Because there's a lot of information here. There's a lot of things that that help us. And and we kind of need to to notice this. God provides a huge fish. It doesn't say a whale. We assume a whale, but it doesn't say that. Um, He provides a huge fish. Um, Here's what's interesting. In this story, and you're going to see this over and over again through all four chapters. Everything obeys God in this story except Jonah. I mean, the fish does, the wind does, the sea does. Later, you're going to learn that a plant does, and a worm does, and the sun does, and the wind does. 
and the Ninevites do, but Jonah doesn't. Okay? Um, so, so it's interesting. It's an interesting concept. But it says, the Lord provided a huge fish. Now, let me just say this, okay? Because when you start reading about all the background behind this, there are all kinds of crazy things out there. People start talking about the scientific evidence that God could do this. Look, this is a miracle. You know what a miracle means? We can't explain it. So you take it as that. It's a miracle. Some people believe that God created a special fish just for this. Some people believe that God provided a fish means that God took a fish and adapted it for this. Some people try to explain it and say God actually used a great fish that we all know about in it. But there's the bottom line. God had a fish ready. Okay? Um, and, and that's what's important. And notice what it says to swallow Jonah. So it's not like whatever fish this was didn't chew him up in little pieces. He was able to take him in whole. Right? And notice what it says. He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, now look, here, here's the thing that's amazing. First of all, the choice of a fish is important to this story. And, and actually, I think it adds some incredible depth to the story. Here's why. In the cult world at that time, a fish represented deliverance from the underworld. When you look at the story of, when you look at the history of the city of Nineveh, and you go back in the etymology of the word Nineveh, you know what you find? You know what's at the root of it? The word fish. So it's unique that God uses this, a fish, to accomplish what he wants to do in this story. Um, it, there, there's a couple of things here. Okay, He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, we don't know if he prays, because he's going to pray in the next passage. He's going to start praying to God, ironically enough. You know, the pagans pray, but you know, the, captain, the pagan captain says, Jonah, pray to your God. And Jonah, we don't have any record of Jonah praying. But now we're going to get in. Chapter 2, fish, storm, he starts to pray. Okay? Um, whether he waits three days before he prays or not, but he's in the belly of this fish. For three days or three days. Now, I just want to ask you something, okay? And I understand, okay? I understand that God could have created a special fish, and Jonah uh, gets basically, it's like an apartment thing with a color TV, and I understand God could have done all that kind of stuff, okay? But I have to take the story as the story goes. So let me talk about what it would be like to be in the belly of a fish. Let's think about that environment for a few moments. Light or dark? Dark. Ever been in the dark for three days and three nights? It's not like, you know, flick my bick. Here's, I got a light, you know. Kids are going, flick my bick, what is that? (laughs) Google it. Um, So it's dark. Wet or dry? Wet. Ever been wet for three days and three nights? Okay. So th- this, is not a, this is not a really comfortable environment already. Let's think about the things that are in the belly of a fish. Sushi. All the sushi you can eat. Literally, raw fish. Because what happens in a belly? I think this is an important part of the story. What's the purpose of something when it goes into your gut? It starts to break down. How does it break down? 
pass it. So we have three days and three nights of stomach acid working on damp, wet skin. And you're in the dark as things go bump in the night, wondering what that was. And we read, he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. <laughs> this is not an enjoyable experience. Could it have been? Yeah, it could have been. But I take the story as the story goes. You go, well, at that point, wouldn't you? You would have to be praying, wouldn't you? Listen, I have watched enough human life and human decisions to know that people will put up with an awful lot before they finally turn to God. I get the impression from this story, and again, there's a lot of theories about this, but I get the impression from this story that it almost takes three days before he starts praying. You go, I would think you would start praying right away. There's a little bit of discrepancy here, and I'll get into that in a second here. Because um, the, the issue here is, is the prayer at the beginning part of, of the three days and three nights in the middle or at the end, and it, it may be a little bit of all of it. But... Um, the prayer is fascinating as you, as you look to it. Um, so he starts here by saying, ends, by, ends chapter 1 by saying, okay, we got a huge fish. It swallowed Jonah. He's in the belly of it for three days. Now he's going to tell us what Jonah prays. And there's a lot of insight here. And from, it says, from inside the fish, he prays the Lord. Now we don't know when. We don't know if this is at the beginning, at the middle, at the end. I think it's at the end. Okay. And I'm going to tell you why, because as soon as he's done, God solves the problem. Okay? So I don't think God would say, okay, now that you've prayed, let's just make you miserable for another three days. Um, I really don't see that as the kind of God that I serve. So anyway, notice what it says. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, in my distress, I called the Lord and he answered me. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and, and tell you what I think he's talking about in the beginning of this is actually being saved from drowning. I don't think Jonah sees the fish as punishment as much as he sees the fish as, as, as salvation. It, it saved him from almost ending his life. And it says there, in my distress I called the Lord and he answered me. I think the answer is, God prepared a fish to swallow him. Until then, he's bobbing around in the ocean, and I think at some point going all the way to the bottom, and jumping back up for air, grabbing about the air, and going back down. And it says, from the dead, and here's the reason I say it, from the deep in the realm of the dead, I cried for help, and you listen to me. Um, when you actually look at the Hebrew word here, it's a, it has the word sheol, hell, that kind of thing. And in the Old Testament, that was a concept of death. So it, it's kind of this idea of, I was on the verge of death, and you listened to my cry? That's what goes on. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. The current swirled about me. Your waves and breakers swept over me. And I think Jonah's sitting here going, look, this, this was bad. I almost drowned. Now, I don't know how you feel about water and that kind of thing. My wife, who grew up on Virginia Beach, lived her life at the beach and on the ocean, does not know how to swim. And... In fact, it was, she was 40 years old. She was 40 years old by the time I got her to go in the ocean past her waist. 
Okay? And the only way we went out there is because I was with her and, and literally walked her out there and I had been a lifeguard. Okay? But, you know, she knows enough about riptides and all that kind of thing that she's just there. Her greatest fear is drowning. So my wife and the, the fact that we have a boat is just a whole nother concept. But, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things. So I understand her fear and that kind of thing. This is, would be her greatest fear. Um, where I love water. I mean, I, you know, I, man, I, man, I'm happy in water. Here Jonah says, you know what? Your waves and breakers swept over me. He said, I, I really felt like I was getting my last breath and I was going to die by drowning. Um, he goes on. He says this, I, I said, I've been banished from your sight. And I'll look again towards your holy temple. He said, you know, God, you have my attention now. Um, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank. The earth beneath me barred me forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. He said, God, as bad as it was, you, you helped me out here. You, you rescued me. You you took care of me. And then, notice what he says. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Um, I don't have time. I, I, we could spend the whole message on this one phrase right there, God's love for them. If I were to ask you what the theme of the New Testament is, most of you would would, would know that it has to be the love of God. John three sixteen. God so loved the world. Um, when they asked Christ what the greatest commandment is, he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. Um, love permeates kind of the whole New Testament thing. When you go into the Old Testament, it's not love. It's, what we, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word called hesed. Okay? Um, it has to do with God's loyalty, God's commitment, God's faithfulness, God's grace, God's love. It has all of these ideas impacted in at once. It's the reason that God sticks with Israel, even though Israel continues to abandon God. It's, um, it, it, it's, it's this incredible concept that it's much, much deeper than just love. It has all these aspects to it. That's the word he uses here. He says, he said, those who cling to work those idols turn away from your hesed. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, he's in the fish praying this. Grateful praise. Really? Bump, oop. <laughs> no. Grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I'm your prophet. If you want me to go to the Ninevites, I'll go to the Ninevites. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. I will do, God, what you have asked me to do. And then what does it say? The Lord commanded the fish. And it vomited Jodah onto the dry ground. It's interesting. When you read this and you look at all this in the original language and everything else, everybody really likes the best translation of the NIV because it really gives the best picture of it. And I'm sure that fish... After three days of indigestion, could not be happier to get rid of Jonah and go back to its normal life. But it says, so there is Jonah, 
Picture this now. Wrinkled, pruny, three-day-old skin. Seeing light for the first time in three days. Laying on a shore now. I think bleached white and pitted. Laying on the shore now and for the first time seeing dry land in three days and three nights. Now you need to remember that picture because you're going to be surprised what happens in the next two chapters. But you have Jonah now all of a sudden. And by the way, when you look at the whole book, this is one of the happiest chapters. Okay? Because Jonah has now tasted the grace of God. He has experienced God's love and God's hesed and God's mercy and God's deliverance and all the great things from God. And you would think somebody who's experienced all of that would be excited to share that with other people. You're going to see it doesn't quite play out like that. So let's talk about a couple of lessons for us. Here, here, here's some things to remember as we go through the week. You need to remember that God will hear you. You know, in this story, Jonah cries out to God for help. And here's the crazy thing. God helps. See, it's it's interesting. What God had to do was God had to get Jonah to be honest with himself. Once God could get Jonah to be honest with himself, then Jonah and God could work together to, 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 to do what God wanted him to do. God doesn't negotiate with Jonah. You're going to see this next week. God doesn't bargain with him. God says, this is what I want you to do. You need to do it my way. But Jonah had to come to a realization that what he wanted and what God wanted were two different things, and he had to bring his thing in line with God, and he had to cry out to God. God will listen And God will hear, but God's not some genie in a bottle that you're going to get to manipulate and get your three wishes. You have to do it God's way. You have to come to God's terms. And when Jonah does that, God gets rid of him out of the fish. But until Jonah is ready to do that, he has a pretty miserable existence. He's learning things the hard way. And I see that over and over again as I watch it play out in people's lives. Is you have a choice, the easy way or the hard way. Um, God wants what's best for you. This was what was best for Jonah. This is what was best for the Ninevites. This is what God's plan was. But Jonah said, you know what, I don't want to do your plan. I want to go my way. And God said, okay, that 500-mile journey is now going to turn out a 2,500-mile journey. And that nice ship passage is going to now become one of the most miserable sea trips you've ever taken in your life. Because you've decided you're going to go your way instead of my way. I need you to understand, do it my way and we'll be okay. And so God here, when Jonah cries out, God answers. And here's what I would say to you. When you're serious, God will listen. But you've got to be honest with yourself and honest with God. I mean, you, you can't fool God. He knows, he knows, he knows what, you really, what you really want and what you're really doing. So understand that. Here's the second thing. God was with Jonah even though Jonah wasn't with God. You see that in the story? I mean, look at all the things that... that um, oh, I'm going to get to this other screen. There you go. 
Um, look at all of the things. God is in the middle of his experience. Even though Jonah wants nothing to do with God. And here's what I would say to you this morning. God is in the middle of whatever you're going through right now, too. You go, ah, I can't believe that. God's there. God's there. You go, but this is so bad. God's there. Uh, really, it's worse than three days, three nights, and a belly of a fish? I mean, this is, this is like lone, miserable, dark, cold, wet, pruny, bumping into things. You got a bad, but I would imagine you're going to go to a bed tonight. Not, you know, bobbing around inside. But God's there right now. God is still with him. Listen to this. Listen to this. Whatever you're going through right now, God's there. God is there. He's ready for you to cry out, but you're the one that's got to make that choice. You've got to see him in the midst of your difficulty and, 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 and where you are. Um, in this story, God brings difficulty to bring clarity to Jonah. Jonah needs to wake up and realize he's running from God. He hasn't realized that, so God has to put him in a situation where... He has to be dependent upon God. And often, in, 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 in counseling people in crisis, things like we call the bottom line. You know, they've got to reach bottom. God had to bring Jonah to the bottom so that John, Jonah would ultimately realize he really needs God more than he thinks he does. And God is there. Now, here's what happens to a lot of you, because you've been brought up in this kind of background in, in religion and Christianity, sometimes Christianity, most of the time religion. You've been taught, some of you, that God is just, he's ready to whack you if you get out of line. Kind of like some of your parents did. Okay? Um, you know, I mean, some of you had heavy-handed parents. You had incredibly strict discipline and incredibly high standards. And if you got out, you, you live for the most part in fear of how they would respond. And some of you, you carried that into your idea of God. And so your idea is that, that God is is micromanaging your life, and when you get out of line, he's going to bring a whole bunch of horrible things to you. Nothing could be farther from Scripture. Um, God has to do that with Jonah. Because Jonah is at a level where Jonah knows a whole lot better. And Jonah has really, really rebelled against God and headed the other way, 180, and, and he's God's prophet. He, I mean, he really does know better. You need to understand that sometimes that is what God will do, but you need to understand most of the time that's God's last resort. In fact, the New Testament teaches the goodness of God leads to repentance. So most often when you and I do wrong, God's still going to be good to us. Just like he did with Israel. Israel would gripe, murmur, and complain. What would God do? He'd take care of them. they gripe, murmur, and complain three days later, and God would take care of them. And they gripe, murmur, and complain, God would take care of them. They got tired of manna, God gave them, God gave them quail. You know? Over and over again, but here's what you don't understand. God has a line which he goes, you know what, I've tried this ten times, it ain't working, we're going to go to plan B. Most of the time, God's goodness is what will bring you back to him. That's his primary motive. That's plan A. Plan B is, if you continue to ignore his goodness, then he's going to have to go to plan B. 
But he doesn't jump to plan B first. In Jonah's life, God had to bring Jonah this kind of difficulty in order for Jonah to turn to God. In this story, difficulty difficulty comes because of disobedience. In this story. Many of you have adopted this story as your theme for the way God deals with you. So therefore, when something difficult happens in your life, you immediately default, go to, what did I do wrong? I want to remind you, there's another reason that God brings difficulty in our life. And that's for the benefit of others. You see that in the life of Job. Job did it all right. Job loved God. Job was faithfully serving God. Job was doing everything that God wanted Job to do. And yet, Job loses everything. In the life of Job, difficulty came for the benefit of others, and Job was the testimony to others. In this story, difficulty comes because of the disobedience of God's person, Jonah. So be careful you make that distinction. And in your life, if if you're having difficulty, it may not be because you're running from God like Job. It may be because God has somebody else he's trying to let that deal impact. And you're the tool, like Job, you're the one that he's doing. It's out, it's even out, it's out of love for them. In fact, real, reality is, the reason Jonah goes through this is because of God's love for the Ninevites. And he's got to get his man to those people. And then, ironically, the fish, which we often see as punishment, is really a, a method of deliverance to get, because think about this for a minute, how does he get back to Joppa? You know, because I got news for you. You know, nobody's going to give him a ticket bobbing out there in the ocean. You know, so God says, hey, I'll get you there as fast as we can. You know, and in comes, I don't know, Moby or whoever you want to, whoever it is, to take him to Joppa and throw him out on the side of the, of the place. And so you have this thing where, look, it, you know, and this is what I would say. Some of you are going through tough times right now. It may be because you're running from God. And if it is, then God's using that situation for you to wake up and go, look, turn back to him. And it may be because God's got somebody else in mind, like a Ninevite, that he's trying to reach. And so you're going to have to go through some tough times in order for him to do that. Or like Job, where all of a sudden even Job's friends have turned against him. And God has to get everybody's attention through Job. I don't know. You do, though. You, you know what's going on. And I just remind you this idea that God is in the middle of this thing. The last thing is this. It's a choice. Obey, disobey. Hard way, easy way. There are some people, I'm one of them, you have to learn things the hard way. I I will be the first to admit it. I inherited it from my father. I have passed it on to my children and even my granddaughter. Because I have learned there are some things that she's going to have to learn the hard way. Okay? And there are some of you that you're geared like that, and there's going to be lessons that you have to learn the hard way. I, let me tell you what I've learned. Between the hard way and the easy way, the easy way is so much easier. It really is. It may be hard at the front part of it, but it gets easier. I always tell teenagers this, and I tell the same thing to adults. 
You do the hard thing, now life gets easier. You do the easy things, now life gets harder. Cut corners now, you pay for it later. Um, We know that. The older you get, the easier that is to understand. And I guess what I would say is, you know what? Think about this story. Jonah gets where he's at a crossroads, Joppa, Nineveh. God, I'm just going to trust you. You want me to go to Nineveh? I'll go to Nineveh. End of story. Nineveh repents. People get saved. Jonah is the hero. Awesome story. Now how this one's going to end. This is easy, hard. I mean, this was hard. Don't get me started. But this was much harder. Okay? You know, this way, I'm, I'm, I'm not a pitted up, white bleached troon the rest of my life. You know? If I, if I go this way, if I go this way, there's going to be some consequences. There's going to be some scars. There's going to be some things that I carry with me. The hard way, the easy way. And for those of you, let me talk to those of you who are younger. You know, you're in your teens, 20s, early 30s. Please, 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 please. Do the hard things now. Don't keep choosing the easy road. I I talked with with a girl yesterday. um, was talking to her and her parents, and we're talking everything else. And uh, yesterday she was supposed to get married. But they canceled the wedding. And I was talking to her about it. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, from someone who sits on the other side of it, you are so wise to do what you did. I said, I know it's hard. But I said, there is so much wisdom in calling it off because you were not comfortable with whether or not it would make it. And I said, I have the utmost respect for you for doing that. The easier thing would have been to just play along with it. And it would have been a lifetime of difficulty and hardship. Instead of saying, you know what, let's be honest. Let's just call it off and, and, and not do this now. And uh, I, I just want to challenge you, because I, I watch this play out over and over again in lives. And, and my challenge to you is this. Do the right thing even though it might be hard because in the end it will get easier. Kids, do the right thing. Don't keep cutting corners just because you're getting away with it because it will catch up with you. Every time you drive in the country right now, I I want you to think about this because you know what you see happening right now? Most places you got corn and sowing beads popping up, right? What if I started going out there going, I want my corn now. We're going to go pick it today. You know, it don't happen like that, Pastor. You know, you got to wait till right before all the raccoons come in and take it. You know? <laughs> yeah, somebody's telling me they were going to grow like two or three rows of sweet corn. I went, all you're doing is feeding coons. That's all you're doing. Um, you know how much work it's going to be to take care of two or three rows? They go somewhere where they can run a planter down the field and then coons can add half of it and there's still plenty to eat. Um, but, I mean, it's the idea of, you know, no, you go, well, we'll wait. we have to wait till harvest. Teenagers, remember this. Kids, remember this. You hear those little stalks of corn, soybeans, whatever, pop it up in the field right now. 
harvest is down the line for you. For people like me, it's harvest time. Okay? And we're going, boy, if I would have known that, I'd have planted something different. You know? Now's the time to look at what you're planning. Now's the time to look whether you're making the easy choices or hard choices. Now's the time to look at whether you're being disobedient or obedient. It pays off down the end. And those of us who have learned that the hard way can tell you in story after story after story of what we would do differently. And that's one of my things. When I meet with an, a, a, an older pastor who's been at it for a while, I have a, well, i tell you what, you know, if I get him alone, you know, I got question after question. Boom, boom, boom. I got my list. If I only get one question, I know what it is. If I get two questions, I know what it is. Three questions, four questions. If I get an afternoon with him, oh, man, I'm going to pick his brain like nobody's business. But, you know, one of my questions right off the bat is, tell me about your favorite ministry and why. Tell me what you would do different if you knew what you knew now going back into it. You know, tell me why you kept at it when it got so tough that anybody else would have bailed. What kept you at it? I have a whole series like that to to pick and find everything I can. Why? Because they have already been in the harvest, and I am now starting to see that. And even now, I still plant stuff. I want to be planting the right stuff. So, so my challenge to you is choose obedience, okay? Choose obedience. Not because God's going to beat you over the head or put you in the belly of a fish. Because it honors God. And he wants what's best for all of us. And he's got a bigger plan in mind for us than we have for our own lives. So I end this way. One of the most encouraging chapters in the Bible is chapter 2 as he runs to God. God shows him mercy and delivers him in spite of his action. And although he runs from God, he finds out God's still present in his life. When he cries out, God responds. God will do the same thing for each of us. We just have to make sure we run to God and not away. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, for some, this is a, this is a reminder to continue to do what we're doing, to continue to stay faithful. For others, Lord, um, it's a reminder that you, Lord, um, are in control. And Lord, in spite of what they're going through right now, you're there. All they need to do is turn to you. Lord, for those who are running from you, may today, may this week be the opportunity, may the, the, the decision that they make to run towards you. Lord, for those who are running with you, who are side by side in what you're doing with your life, would you continue to encourage them? Lord, when it is all said and done, when our lives are come to an end and the chapter, the last chapter is written and the book is closed. May we be able to look back, Lord, on a life of obedience and a life where we tried to honor you in what you wanted for each of us. And use us this week. And Lord, there's a whole world that needs Christ. And uh, Lord, we're your messengers, so help us to